podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. Just before we start, I wanted to remind you that you can read our articles, explore more podcasts, and learn about our online personal and management development programs and workshops by visiting our website, www.worldofwork.io. All right, on to the podcast. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Well, today we are talking all about responsible business. And we're talking to the brilliant Anna Fowley, who leads the organization SCVO, which is the Scottish Council for Voluntary Organizations. Sounds good. Let's get into the conversation. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's conversation, and we're speaking to Anna Fowley um, from SCVO, the Scottish Council for Voluntary Organisations. And today what we're really speaking about is how organisations behave and some of the impacts that organisations have on their stakeholders and on the wider world. Um, Before we get into that in a bit more detail, though, Anna, would you be able to introduce yourself uh, and say a bit more about yourself and your background to the audience? Yeah. Hi, James. I am I am Anna Fowley. As you said, I'm the um, Chief Exec of the Scottish Council for Voluntary Organisations. So we're an umbrella body for the voluntary sector in Scotland. So our members could be charities or uh, community groups or social enterprises. And we also represent the wider sector um, in lobbying government and um, trying to influence. Um, we also provide services to the sector. So we run the Good Moves job site. We produce the Third Force News magazine do payroll for 400 organizations they have got a a, yeah a huge range of things basically we're all about the contribution supporting the contribution of the voluntary sector to to scotland i think that gives you such a fantastic insight um at the real sectoral level uh at, at a country scale as well i mean it's really really great to have you here to speak about that um i guess i've got one sort of side question and then one main question um First question that I'd like to know a little bit about is the fact that when we speak about sort of organizational behaviors and doing good things as an organization and behaving in the right ways, quite often we think about the word responsibility. So people talk about things like responsible behaviors, responsible business, all of that kind of stuff. I'd like to understand a little bit more from you what responsibility means to you. Um, And then as a side question, at some point, I'd like to understand a little bit more about how big the Scottish voluntary sector is, because my understanding it's quite big. So that's sort of two balls in the air at once. Okay, well, we start with the second ball because that's quicker. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. The voluntary sector in Scotland is um, some 40,000 organisations in scale, we think. Um, 23,000 of those are charities. Um, so that could be anything from big national charities to um, very small village halls and community groups. Um, so it's a huge, it covers anything from the environment to um, cancer research or um, children's services, um, tourism, you name it, the, the sector does it. It's phenomenal. Yeah, okay, cool. Thank you for that. Yeah, so what that makes it really interesting and also really interesting in terms of the, the topic we're discussing today because responsibility could cover um, anything for anybody in some ways. I suppose for me, it really means um, looking beyond the immediate, um, beyond the bottom line or your own organisation's viability. I think we're only passing through and we need to make sure that our society and our planet are really good places to be for future generations, or at least that we haven't wrecked it for future generations. Um, but I think also if you're in a leadership position, um, you really should should live, live all of that and that you should... Um, 
build that feeling of responsibility uh, into your own day-to-day activities and that might include someone like me who has got a platform and has got a voice handing over that platform at times to other people who don't have a voice to to let them have their say and be able to do a bit of influencing yeah yeah that's that's um it's great to to get the range of organizations that are involved and and to draw up a point that responsibility can be different things to different people but that it's about more than us um when we think about uh, you know, frameworks for responsibilities and, and ways that we can kind of draw out maps of who we are being responsible to or, or what domains we should be responsible within. Are there any sort of guiding organizations or frameworks that, that you're aware of or that you think of or that your members uh, look to at any points in time? I think personally and, and at SCBO, we're very much um, a, engaged with the national performance framework that we have in Scotland. So yeah. Uh, I see that as embodying how we want to be as a country and there's not much in there that isn't relevant to the sector or to us as an organisation and I think it it provides a really good um, way to set out why you're doing things and to think about that bigger picture uh, when you can sometimes get bogged down in the kind of day-to-day level stuff. And obviously the National Performance Framework is Scotland's kind of answer to the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals that the UN have. Um, but it's, it doesn't cover all aspects of the SDGs. Um, but that, again, is something, the Sustainable Development Goals are something that are really influencing a lot of organisations across the globe just now um, at different levels. And I think that's really important. We at SCBO have um, established a Sustainable Development Goals network for Scotland um, mm-hmm. and just for the sector. Um, and one of my colleagues has been leading on that. And that's certainly proved to be very engaging um, for a, lo- a lot of people with a lot of different um, different interests. But I think today as well, it would be good to remember, today's the um, day of, National Day of Kindness, or all kind yeah. of rather. And actually, um, the Carnegie Foundation have done lots and lots of work on kindness, and I think that's really relevant to this agenda, and I'm a big fan of that work, um, because I think it's a principle that, that should really um, cover that should bind us all in leadership positions is to remember that um, to have kindness at the heart of everything that you do. I, that's a great, that's a great call out. Um, we, we actually did a, a podcast on Scotland's national performance framework and spoke to the Scottish government about it. So if people want to learn more, they can have a listen to that. The types of things that are covered in there um, that are similar to the sustainable development goals are, uh, are things to do with things like the eradication of poverty, uh, environmental positive impacts, education, gender equality, um, you know, life on land, life in water, justice, all, all those types of, of things. And, and I think one of the things that those have in common is, is that sense of kindness. And, and I, so I, I, when you are, were speaking about it, I actually kind of connected those in, in my mind because um, obviously Scotland uses the word kindness quite bravely in some of its ambitions as a country. Um, and I think kindness does quite embody some of this. So I think that's um, that's pretty pretty helpful. Well, so, James, we're the, we're the only country in the world, as far as I know, to have love in a national outcome. It's incredible, isn't it? It's it's brave. It it's uh, it is a brave thing to do. Yeah, which, which is good. Um. So I mean, obviously, you're looking at this from the sort of charitable charitable sector, broadly speaking. Um. 
when you think about organizations behaving in this way and looking at their impact and, and things like that, what types of organizations or bodies do you think should be trying to behave like this? Do you, do you think it's, it's the domain of just our more charitable organizations? Do you think it's for our, our public sector bodies? Do you think or, you know, corporate organizations should be doing it? Where, where do you think the, we should be trying to behave like this? I think everybody should be trying to behave like this. And I certainly think anyone who wants to employ anyone under 35 has to behave like this. Um, because that, those generations are the ones that um, are looking for very different things from their employers to what people of my generation were looking for. Um, and I don't think um, anyone's got a monopoly on being responsible or indeed on being irresponsible. I think across the public sector, private sector, voluntary sector, um, you will see good and bad examples of, uh, in this kind of area. That's interesting. I, I, I think... Um... Yeah, I think that's interesting that we can see positivity in all those areas. At some point, it would be good to explore um, some of the challenges you see within um, maybe more of a, of a third sector where behaviours aren't necessarily as good. I think that's that's a really interesting insight because it, we quite often assume that if some organisation is set up for a charitable purpose, that it will be behaving responsibility, uh, responsibly, but I'm sure that's not strictly the case. Um, in terms of your personal views on why these things are important, um, we know these outcomes, they feel good, they feel kind. But is there more to it than that? You know, why do we need to behave in some of these ways and, and focus on some of these broader uh, impacts that we focus on when we're being responsible? Well, I, I think primarily it's because it's just right. So social justice, equality, fairness, the future of the planet. Um, I think all those things are really important. But there's also that, that we all need to stay relevant and to move with the times. And this is the kind of the growing kind of zeitgeist of the times is to behave like this and to be like that. We also need to be realistic. We need to attract and retain good staff. So fundamentally, good work and being a good employer, and the fair work principles in Scotland, but that whole concept of the of good quality work is something that's fundamental, I think, to that um, being, a, a, being a responsible organisation. And that's actually good for your bottom line as well as just being a good thing to do. Um, but we also need to all contribute to all our different communities well-being but and that, that could be a local level it could be a national level or it could be a global level um, and sustainability isn't just about the environment even though that's really important it's also about your own organization's sustainability or your sector's sustainability um, so you, you you can actually get some good um, harder measures in some ways in terms of the bottom line argument that if you don't have if you improve your productivity and you don't have that cost of churn then actually there's a good business case as well as the moral and ethical case for for this that's um that's a great argument that you've just made uh, and a very persuasive one about the importance of these things um i'm interested to know that when you see it in practice and you see organizations trying to aspire to to these kind of objectives uh, what are the what the reality is? How hard is it for organisations to start to work towards this, particularly if they're coming from a place where they haven't previously tried to be responsible? I guess. Yeah, I think it, it is really hard, and I think you have to do it consciously. Um, we, we do have in Scotland really good rhetoric, good policy, good legislation, even, and I think there's a kind of consensus around it being the right thing to do. But definitely, we're not there in reality. It's really, really hard to change the systems and the attitudes, the power structures that have been in place forever. Um, and we also have to take the public with us. I think that's that's really important. Um, but 
I think the voluntary sector in itself is in a really good position um, as a starting point because it's never been about in make, individuals making a profit um, and the concept of values and principles have always been quite upfront, um, not just something that people are kind of adding on as a nice to have um, and also really good at challenging and speaking out on, on big issues, whether that's at a local level or whether it's at a global level. Um, so there's some fundamentals there that the sector is already, my sector is already good at. Um, but yeah, the reality is that we've been living with these ways of working for decades, if not centuries. Um, and we do need to to make it feel more natural and less like something that we're just learning how to do. Yeah, and I think um, you've, you've touched on something that I feel quite strongly about having worked in the sector for a, a fair amount of time. Um, so I'd be interested in your thoughts about how, what the big frictions are, you think, for organisations. So one of, the, for example, one of the ones that I often see is is the friction between trying to make sure as much of the income goes towards beneficiaries as possible, whilst also paying a fair living wage, for example, and trying to balance those responsibilities. Um, do you see frictions like that that are set, sort of applying to many organisations in the sector or does everyone have different individual challenges within trying to make the balance between the different areas of responsibility? I, th- I think everyone does have different challenges but but there's some fundamentals that would be across um, a large well the vast majority of the sector and that you've, you've given a really good example there Jane in terms of the the living wage um, and that there, there won't be many organisations that say they don't want to pay it um, if if any um, but the way, uh, well, for example, if you're involved in a public procurement exercise, those kind of contracts, which would be, you know, most of social care, if not all of social care, um, a lot of employability services and things like that, then those contracts are not set up to, to drive um, that kind of context. They're, they're still very transactional and very old fashioned. Um, but there would be other things like, for example, organisations that rely on fundraising or on year-on-year funding from from local government or uh, public donations, it's really hard to make long-term commitments if your um, income is so fragile. Um, And that's something we see. 75% of um, the voluntary sector in Scotland have a turnover of less than £50,000. Um, the majority don't even employ staff, never mind um, pay them a living wage. So uh, you're talking about some very fragile organisations. But one of the things that the the coronavirus situation has really taught us is that actually that uh, fragility of income applies to whether you're a massive um, national charity or even global charity, or whether you're a wee tiny grassroots organisation, the, the fragility is there. Yeah, and I think... Um, I think that's a really interesting thought about that job security, as well as living wages, but also that job security. And it's it, that's a classic friction that you see within uh, the Scottish framework, where they're both wanting people to have job security, but we're also trying to make sure the third sector can be competitive with other organisations when they go through a tendering process, which I think is really, really hard. Um, competitive with each other, which doesn't help. No, and I think I we could very easily go on to a wider societal um, question mark about whether competitive processes are the, mo- the get the best results. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I'd be really interested in your thoughts. Do you think there is 
I'm going to ask something maybe a little bit, a little bit controversial. Do you think the sector does enough to educate the public about why they might make the choices they do to be responsible as businesses beyond their own core beneficiaries? That's a really good question. I, I think yes and no. So some some parts of the sector probably do focus more on that, but uh, but we could certainly do more. I think a lot of um, voluntary organisations are very much focused on what what they do um, and the, the what they, how they deliver for the people that support them or the people that um, benefit from from what they do, um, rather than the um, creating a wider public message about you know overall principles um, but that's something that we're looking at you've probably seen our never more needed campaign um, so we're looking at that and developing it a bit more um, for the, the next few months around really emphasizing the contribution that the sector makes and looking at um, look, helping the sector to have debates amongst itself as it were if that's that's not even a phrase <laughs> to to see how we can live those values um, and and really be more challenging and have those quite challenging debates amongst ourselves rather than having them fo- um, forced on us by funders or by the state that's a uh, I like that a lot yes I had briefly seen it and I think I think that sounds like a really solid way of a sector starting to work together because I think that's always a challenge trying to get sectors mm-hmm. when especially when they're experiencing economic conditions the way that they are at the moment I mean that's that's hard right yeah I guess absolutely. I guess that leads me on to a slightly different question which is so there are lots of organizations who if they had time and energy would do it better and are trying to do you see organizations being a little bit performative in the way they treat responsibility? So I'm thinking here about where you see uh, something like greenwashing, where organizations show themselves to be very environmental, even if they're not necessarily quite as environmental as they say so, in order to appeal to the customer or to the to the um, the wider general public. Is, 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 is there such a thing as organizations being more uh, performatively responsible than they are in real life? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I think that I mean, my favourite one of the moment is youth washing. So everybody's looking like they're doing loads to help young people into the jobs market and all of that kind of thing. And some people are. Um, but yeah, there is a bit of, there's always, um, you know, every every year, every month at the moment brings a different um, thing that you, you want to look like you're doing really good at. Um, so, but I think in some ways, does that really matter? Because at least it's a start. So people are, if people are being performative about it, organisations are being performative about it, at least it means it's on their radar and they know they should be doing something. So what I think what matters is the, how you then make them, how we as society can pressurise those um, organisations making those claims into actually delivering on their promises. Um, so, I mean, for, for me at SCBO, I really want us to be held to account. I want myself to be held to account by my colleagues. I want us to be held to account by um, our members, our funders, whatever. I think that's really healthy. And I think it's it's not in our nature sometimes in Scotland to really to be constructively challenging. We either just go, oh, well, that's the way it is, or it's always been like that, or we have a wee moan. But actually, if we were more constructively challenging, we could really start to hold organisations uh, and systems to, to account and um, and really change. I think use, use our, our power as citizens to, to make those changes. It sounds like there's a little bit of um, faking it until you make it. I guess, you know, if somebody's pretending, then, then let's jump on board and encourage and support and help them see some benefits from that. It, it feels like that's probably a good way to go. 
Yeah. Um, that was the exact you, phrase you, I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, I think if you, you find what presses somebody's buttons and, and use it to, to get to where you want it to be. Yeah. And I guess within that, you know, if we if we celebrate people claiming to, to be these things and then to be more responsible, then if we feedback positively to them, that'll only, you know, help them feel good about it and help them feel that it's not just the morally right thing to do, but potentially it's the, you know, business case type of right thing to do as well. So I guess we've got some influence as individuals as well as um, the other roles that we have. Um I've got another question, which is maybe sort of a bit more structural or systemic or something like that. Um, the way that there's something that's been on my mind for a while is that the way that we set up and, and establish our organizations and our communities and the ways that we work together legally, um, a lot of the frameworks that we use have been around for a long time and they, you know, they haven't changed hugely. There are some changes, but there haven't been huge changes for, for quite a while. Do you think it's possible for organizations to be really uh, responsible and kind and, and all these types of things that, that we think are in the better interest of, of the wider world using these frameworks that we have in place? Or, or do you think there's space for new ones? And if so, what types of things or changes might you see in our, our sort of structuring of organizations? Well, this is something that you, some of my colleagues will, will laugh at you asking me that because I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with this. I think right. we, we run everything um, like it was run in the immediately post-war. Yeah. <laughs> and it just doesn't work. Of course it doesn't. Yeah. Those are the things that have created uh, or driven poverty, inequality, ill health. That's what's killing the planet. It's even started wars. Do you know, we need yeah. to move yeah. away from this. It's white middle class. It's, a, it's managerial. It's... Um, focused on profit or GDP or, uh, you know, it just it doesn't maximise the talents that we have, it doesn't maximise the skills that we have, and it certainly doesn't challenge traditional ways of thinking. Um, and I really believe if you are, if you're directive as a manager or a leader and you're controlling, you're risk averse, which is what all those systems are, um, mm-hmm. you don't really trust and empower your colleagues then, and you don't bring in as many voices into the room, then you just won't get the best outcomes. And even products or productivity won't be the best. Um, so I really think if you focus on the money, which we've done, or stuff, infrastructure and money, then and don't focus on people, it's actually counterintuitively, it's not good for business. Um, and I'm a bit obsessed with this in a governance sense. I think our governance systems are not attractive to younger people. They're all about... Um, it's sort of controlling, managing, trying to mitigate risk instead of trying to um, take informed risk and, and to do things which are going to be innovative and, and different. Um, we're, we've set up systems to, uh, would mean we'd never cross the road. Do you know, we're worrying about yeah. the about the the one in a million instead of th- focusing on making on uh, empowering the rest um so yeah i really think we have to change but i do think things are changing so especially mm-hmm. if you look at lots of social enterprises um if you look at there's much more employee-owned businesses now yeah the kind of co-ops and things like that are having a bit of a, a resurgence but i also think young people are doing things differently young people don't want to be boxed into traditional ways of i mean i say young me being an old lady <laughs> then I, we're all in that bit <laughs> i think when we, we see younger people who are really doing things differently and they're asking their 
either they set up their own organisation or they're asking their employers to do things differently and saying, we'll just not come and work for you if you don't recognise this. Um, And they don't have that same concept of a superannuated job for life that some of us were brought up on. They actually... Um, they they will take their their skills and their talent to where to where it's appreciated, and I, I think that's a great thing, and that should really make us all think on and uh, and and modernise. I was um I read something a couple months ago, or maybe a bit longer, but stuck in my head, and it was somebody proposing uh, a slight change to a governance structure for an organisation, and saying that actually within this organisation, what we should do is we should give um, X amount of voting rights to a representative of the actual local environment. So saying we should have a voter for our local animals and a voter for our local green spaces, and they should have a say in our organizational running. And, and that just struck me as such an unusual idea. I mean, do you think things like that are too far out there to be worth discussing? Do you think it's worth trying to challenge our conceptions of things like that as well? What, what do you think about things like that? I think that sounds amazing. Yeah, no, and I don't think anything's too far out there to be worth considering. I really, um, I think you should, you should be willing to try things and accept that it might work, it might not work. And, and it's fine because you've tried it. And that is something that for the voluntary sector and indeed for the public sector is really difficult. Because you get, you know, you'll be on the front page of the Daily Record if you're a local authority and you do something that wastes council taxpayers' money, you'll be, you know, pilloried by whoever's funded you if you're a voluntary sector organisation that makes a mistake. But, you know, if you look at the private sector, then they wouldn't have any products if they didn't make mistakes, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's all all learning, so you don't be able to do that. And I was going to say, sometimes doing the same thing in a really safe way is a mistake. And it, it, it just closes down all the future opportunities that you could have to create even better things. Yeah. And if we all wanted to live in a cave, we could have done that, whatever, 100,000 years ago, and it would all just be as it was, and it would be fine. Yeah. Um, so I guess part of your role is engaging sometimes with government and then some sort of regulatory uh, views of the sector as well. What sort of sense do you get uh, from those voices within Scotland or any insights you have from other countries about their thoughts on responsibility in the voluntary sector or more broadly. Do you have any, any thoughts on that or insights into those? Well, I think that um, I think in Scotland we've got quite a benign um, political environment just now. And I don't yeah. mean just the current administration at Holyrood. I mean, uh, that's a kind of a cross-party feeling in terms of, you know, everyone signed up to the National Performance Framework as an example. But I do think there is a feeling of... Um, that Scotland wants to be a country of that's socially just. I think that means different things to different people and to different political uh, perspectives. But I think there's a, there's an underlying feeling that that is a good thing. Um, how you deliver it is is quite probably quite different. I think it's really encouraging that we're part of the um, the the WeGo group, as it were. The um, yeah well-being and uh, economy governments I think that's that's great and Wales obviously is part of that um, and New Zealand and I'm, I'm really um, I'm a massive fan of uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand yes, yes. Um, as, a, as a human being but as a leader as well and as a woman leader but I'm also a massive fan of what they're doing in um, Wales around future generations so the Welsh Future Generations Act and their Future Generations Commissioner Sophie Howe um, are just doing really good things. I think that's a great example of what responsible means for a government to have put in place um, a person and a, a, a body with that responsibility 
who, you know, to look out for the rights of future generations, the as yet unborn, that is that's showing great leadership. Um, I, I would like a future generations commissioner in Scotland, um, but I've met Sophie a couple of times uh, in Wales, and she, I just think the work that she does could actually be really transformative and is being in Wales, and I think we we can learn a lot from that. Yeah, I mean that that whole focus on I guess the the collective benefit to humanity now and into the future that, that sort of discounting of a, the sort of utilitarian benefits we receive as people in the future as well as in the present is such a powerful thing and it's great to see that being yeah. brought to life um do you think there's more that I guess our governments or our regulators could do to make it easier for people to be uh, or organizations to be responsible and more impact focused well I think there's something about the um the scrutiny landscape. So if you're scrutinised on outputs and um, you know things mm. and time and thing, and not on the outcome or the impact yeah. um, that you you have, then that's you know that's not great. So I suppose if you think about um, if we talked about procurement before, but if if you're measured on whether it's in a regulatory context like an inspection or whether it's a a contractual context, if you're measured on how many visits you've done, how many train sessions you've held or stuff like that, um, that that doesn't tell you anything about the difference you've made to people's lives. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that input measure, isn't it? Absolutely. It's just pointless. And it's easy. That's why people do it because it's easy. Uh, it's nice, right? We can pretend we're doing something good. Jane, well, I think you had a question. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really interesting point because I think quite often, um, as much as we try in the sector not to become focused on the money, we need the money to run the organisations for a lot of cases, or to do the work, or to to impact. And it becomes people work backwards, right? They go, okay, so that's what's being funded. So I'm going to work out what the inputs would look like to make that happen. And yeah. you, like you say, you get you end up with a, a pretty challenging environment. Let's let's turn our attention to those doing it well for a moment, because there are we know there are some great examples, whether it's in the corporate sector or whether it's in the, the third sector or the public sector. Where have you got any personal favorites where you look and you see organization, you think, yeah, that is that is the direction people should be moving in. Well, I think I've probably already given them, and that would be the the future generations commissioner in in Wales and uh, and in New Zealand as a country. Um, I find it really hard to choose particular individual organisations because I think you have to really know that you're seeing beyond the surface. So you can see stuff that looks really good. I mean, forever reading things on Twitter or on uh, in the Harvard Business Review that you think, oh, that's really interesting. I'll need to copy that. And then you think, well, actually, what's the reality behind behind that? And well, and that does that work for your own organisation? So, so I'm not going to be choosing particular examples other than Jacinda and Sophie. Very, very wise decision. <laughs> and uh, yes, other business review could be a whole other conversation. Um, so, in which case, if people are sitting listening right now, and Maybe they're not leaders, but they're, they're managers in organisations um, and they're thinking, oh, you know, I wonder how good we are really at this. And I'd really like to see us do more. Um, where would you suggest they start looking um, about changing either their own behaviour or their organisation, influencing their organisation's behaviour? 
So I think in terms of just organisationally, if you're a manager or a um, or anyone really working in an organisation, I'll come back to what individuals can do. Um, but for as a, in a in a work context, I think it's all about your values, isn't it? And you have to live your values, not just have them on a mouse mat. Um, and I think you need to be really authentic, um, especially if you're in a position like mine. But any manager needs to be just, you know, it's a cliche to say you need to be yourself, you're, bring your whole self to work. But I think you really do, because people need to know that you're also vulnerable, that you are a human being, that you, you know, that, that there's something about that genuine presence and genuine, and that's a, a kindness thing as well, but it's also about um, being prepared to expose your own um, vulnerability and to be able to be challenged um, and also to be challenging. So I kind of think that you have to to live all those things that we talk about in terms of organisations you have to do as an individual. And it could be just making sure you turn off all the lights if we're thinking about sustainability. You know, I mean, that is, it sounds daft, but actually that's quite important. Um, but it is, a, I, I think it's about how you live your life and how you are. Um, but I think also for individual people, um, I was really thinking about this and um, when I was sort of just before we, we came on to, to this discussion. And I think there's for individuals, it's it's all about what, what you do with your vote and what you do with your money. So political parties win, their elect, win elections and therefore they write their manifestos and their speeches on the basis of public pressure. So what they think is going to appeal to the voter. And if the public is demanding what it's always had, if, it, if the public wants more roads, cheap food, throwaway fashion, if they're fed disinformation, as we are being just now, about immigration and 5G, for example, then that's what people vote on. So you need to change um, how people think and um, help to kind of move on that public discourse so that we can then use that public pressure to, uh, to to influence politicians. And that really applies to how we spend our money as well. And if you think about the organisations, the businesses that have probably profited most over the last few months, there'll be local businesses that we've already discovered, but there's also Amazon. And we really need to think about what we buy, who produces it, um, and what impact that's having on the planet. And that might be shopping with your local businesses, it might be choosing social enterprises, um, and it might be making sure that you've researched a supply chain as far as you can to see what's behind those publicity statements. So I really think people need to, um, as individual citizens, take responsibility for um, how they engage in the political system and how they use their money to, to spend to drive um, good I am um, while you were just as you were saying that before you got to the bit about supply chain I'd written down supply chain education that's got to be the answer well you know what I'm going to jump in I don't know if you guys saw this but you know that you've got sort of direct uh, direct cantonal voting in Switzerland I don't know if you saw it but the yeah. Geneva canton voted recently to do their minimum wage but they're also proposing that legal organizations are accountable for everything throughout their entire supply chain mm-hmm. um, which I think they'll vote on pretty soon but that would be hugely transformational i believe it absolutely would i mean it it almost makes me nervous just thinking about the impacts of something that big i mean how you would administer that but yeah i'm not i'm definitely not sure how you administer it but i definitely think there is an interest that over the last 15 20 years um the good enough attitude to, to product development of just getting things to market and then trying to get a large share of the market quickly as they develop the product um 
we've had that for quite a long time now. So maybe we do need to stop and take stock and force organizations to think a little bit more and a little bit more intentionally about the way they bring products and services to market um, and be held to account on that. I think that'd be really cool. The other thing, the other thing like you said, which I'm just in love with is more than a mouse mat, which may be my new slogan. Um, <laughs> I, I, I smiled at that too. Did you? James, James and I yeah, are obsessed yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the idea of values being on a wall stroke on a mat. We never use the phrase on a mouse mat, which is far better. Um, <laughs> And, and how, and I guess this leads me to a question about how leaders, very specifically so, um, CEOs, those few people that, that shape the organization, CEOs, chairs, um, very senior leaders within the organization, what can they or should they be doing to create an environment where people can speak up and speak out and critique and have open and live their values, even if those values may uh in some senses not contradict the organizational values but you know may not exactly be aligned um how can what can leaders do to create that environment do you think well Joe, that's that's really interesting jane because apart from the sort of hygiene factors like money misalignment of values between the person and the organization is one of the main reasons people leave so i actually don't think you should be working in an organization that's not aligned to your own values but that's a that's a personal point of view i suppose I, I think you have to be really open and transparent and really aware of the importance of your staff i think you need to explain the decisions that you're making and get as many voices as possible involved in the, those decisions and that doesn't mean to say that you do everything that all your colleagues want but that you then explain why some things weren't an option and why you took a different decision so that people really understand it. Um, and that would be at a board level and at a chief exec level. I think that whole kind of building up trust where people understand why decisions have been made, even if they're not palatable decisions, um, I think that's really important. Um, and really thinking about that um, term, the good work thing i suppose making sure that people feel that they're uh, especially nowadays when we're, a lot of us are working from home that we may really focus on work-life balance and making sure that people are able to to do things to let them be themselves rather than just be chained to a computer um all day i think it's it's empowering people trusting people and making them feel valued um but also letting them not letting their own words but encouraging people to to, to challenge back and to bring you their ideas and that there's no wild idea that's too wild and you know you might not do it but let's have a conversation about it uh, and that you are open to, to hearing things and and acting on them I don't know I'm kind of wittering about there but no I think I think you're really right I think one of the challenges I've seen quite a lot in organizations is well-meaning and good organizations trying to move towards a space where I, all ideas and innovation are good, and I've seen that done quite well, but that still maybe are not quite as good, let's use that phrase, at being forcing, the, forcing themselves to be comfortable with critique internally. Mm. Um, and so quite often I, I, I meet senior leaders who are better at no idea is a bad idea. They're getting better towards that, yeah. but they may be not quite... And they don't mean to. They're not deliberately shutting things down, but they haven't created an environment where people feel confident to say... I actually think that as an organization, we're probably, I don't know, letting down on the side on environment or we could do better in this. And I'm not sure this is the right decision for us. And I don't I don't know if you have any thoughts on 
tips where you've seen leaders or you yourself, how you do that within your organization to make sure that your team feel they can always critique internally at an appropriate way? We're trying to do that just now at SCBO, and I think it depends on the culture of your organisation. We wouldn't have been able to do that when I first arrived because there's quite a combative culture, I suppose. But um, one of the things I learned when I was first a chief executive, so a long time ago and not in this job, was that I kept having ideas and telling people my ideas, often when I was on a train, therefore in an email. And then I discovered that they were they were away doing them. And what I actually needed somebody to say to me was, don't be that. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it never occurred to me until I was in that position that people would just do stuff. Oh, Anna, I have. Oh, I've been there on that one. That's it. You, a throwaway idea that you just wanted to sound off someone, and then they go, "Oh, the boss has said it. I'm going to go off and do it and make it happen." And and if you're in like a layered organization, the person that you'll have mentioned it to will mention it to somebody else, and before you know it, you're creating like a whole random thing that you never knew about. And suddenly, there's a 15 page presentation about how you can make it happen by Christmas. Yeah, been there. You're just going, oh my goodness, I just want someone to tell me to shut up. Yeah. So, but I think it takes a while for people to believe that you won't then kind of sack them or something. Or yeah. If they tell you to shut up, they have to, you have to yeah. do anything. Yeah. So I think we're getting towards the end of time, but I've got one question that I'd like to wrap up before we, we, sorry, to to ask before we start to move towards wrapping up. When we, as individuals in leadership positions, create um, environments that invite others to challenge us, it means that we can put ourselves in a situation where we are regularly being challenged and, and, and that can lead to better outcomes in many ways, but it can sometimes feel emotionally tiring to be in that sort of uh, variable or defensive or adjusting uh, position where you're accepting um, all these messages looking for you to change. That can be emotionally tiring in in my um, experience and understanding. Uh, Have you got any thoughts on how leaders looking to move into this this more um, challenge-friendly way of working can manage themselves and look positively on this and, and to find it energizing as opposed to draining or, or any sort of reflections on that sort of personal emotional position that, that they might find themselves in yeah that's a that's a cracking question James it's a I think yes so the it's really difficult sometimes not to take things personally or to to feel it's a, or to, to become defensive but it does make me think about when when my daughters were young and I, I was really pleased that they were learning to be assertive but sometimes I wanted to go could you just not be assertive with me give just me a break <laughs> yeah. uh, but but actually it's that I really enjoy that and I enjoy it from my staff as well I mean I don't enjoy it if it's a, a you know a shouting and swearing thing which it, it, yeah. it isn't so but that challenge I think it's that curiosity and just been fascinated by what people come up with and the reasons yeah. that they come up with them. I just love all that. So it might be draining, but I think the thing is to to embrace it and see it yeah. as learning and to think, oh my goodness, I wonder why they think that, rather yeah. than think, oh, why do they think that? Do you know, there's just a different mindset around it. And, they, and I, I think, I suppose I have got quite a, generally, a welcoming kind of an curious mindset so I just love it I love when I see people coming up with stuff that you yeah. think you know they're just sat in a corner being quietly and then suddenly they'll see something you think whoa that's Ooh. okay yeah <laughs> I like that 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 sort of generative framework your generative mindset you're thinking about there about what could the future be and and, and I think 
reflecting on it a little bit as you speak, for me, there's probably something about holding one's own ideas a bit lightly and, and attaching yourself and your identity to that future potential for whatever comes and, and not being so wedded to the past. There's something in that managing yourself fluidly that I think is um, potentially good to aspire to. Um, so we've been chatting for quite a while. Unfortunately, I think we are getting to the end from a time perspective. I've really enjoyed that. I think there's some some great conversation we could do more. But um, in the interest of time, I'm going to wind us up. Um, before we finish properly, though, um, is there anything that uh, people could do to learn more about you or your organization or, or more broadly um, this field? Is there anything that you'd like to share or recommend people look at? Um, in terms of SCVO, obviously we've got our SCVO website, predictably enough, and various Twitter feeds, including at SCVO uh, tweets. And my my own, I have my own personal Twitter account, which is just at Anna Fowley, because thankfully I'm the only person in the world. <laughs> um, but not that I've been able to use it very much recently, because I've been so deadened by screen screen time. Um, but the so and I would also probably say that um, I hadn't thought of this beforehand, but the SDG network that I talked about earlier mm. would be a, a good thing to have a look at. Um, and you can find out more about that again on, on our website too, um, probably just by Googling it too. So yeah, I suppose that's all I can think of for just now. Yeah, that's great. That's some great advice. Um, the SDG network is, I think, full of useful information, isn't it, about how people can look at the impact of their organization has and probably get insights from other organizations as well. So that, that feels like a... Very yeah, practical thing. That, James. I forgot that. Yeah, years ago I came along and did a little bit, so that was that was really fun. That's how I, one of those starting things for my thinking about all of this was was going to one of those. Cool. Um, all right. Well, it's uh, time to say goodbye. I think so. It's uh, thank you very much from me, and a thank you from me too. Thank you for having me. Okay, so that was our conversation with Anna, and you are back in the room with us. Um, Jane, did you have any particular takeaways or learning points from that conversation you'd like to share or reflect on? Well, firstly, I love that conversation because it's my favorite things. It's my favorite sector. Uh, it's someone who I think is brilliant, and I think it's a really important conversation we need to have. And on that note, I guess the thing that I would, if I had to pick one thing, and it's tough, I would say the importance of sectors, any sector actually, um, taking its role as uh, or taking a role in public education to best understand the context for their decisions, I think is really important. So that public education piece about the need for responsible business, fair wages, et cetera, within the charity sector. But I think that that translates to other sectors too and how organizations can work together to best educate the public to understand why they might make the decisions they do that may feel at first glance, if you're not if you're not thinking about it too deeply, to be surprising. Yeah, I think that education and collaboration piece is, is powerful. Um, my takeaway is slightly different. And, and my takeaway is, I guess, starting with yourself in all of this. So a few of the things Anna said, particularly when she was speaking about the role of leaders, reflected back on actions that we can take as individuals. So as leaders, we can be true to our values and live our values and behave in accordance with things that we think are important and imbue that in the way that we operate our businesses. Um, but also as individuals, we can do things like make ethical consumption choices, um, engage in the right way with our communities and, and uh, political frameworks, and generally look to use our behaviors um, to make ourselves proud and have impact. So you know, it might seem like there are some big challenges out there, but perhaps the best thing we can do is to live our own lives well. Um, and through that, 
you know, role model good behavior and, and change the world one grain of sand at a time, that kind of thing. Yeah. And regular listeners will definitely recognize some of what we're talking about here as also fitting with the authentic leadership model. Um, so particularly things like balanced processing, which, uh, and tr- relational transparency. So being transparent about where, what underpins the choices you make and the way in which that you relate to other people. And yeah. I think, I think that's really, the more I look back, the more I think that that model of authentic leadership can help people understand as leaders, how to start with their self, uh, which is the point you made, which I think is really important. Great. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Okay. So I think it's uh, until next time. Goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.